Celebrate and save at Ashley's anniversary sale. With Hot Buys, your choice of color starting at just $3.99. Ashley Sleep mattresses starting at $2.50. Plus, receive a free adjustable base with select mattress purchases. And shop top mattress brands like Stearns & Foster, Tempur-Pedic, Purple, and Beautyrest Black with 60-month special financing only at Ashley. Subject to credit approval. No minimum purchase required. Minimum monthly payment, down payment, tax, and delivery may be required. See store for details. Old man winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice, and a good polar vortex. <laughs> Heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, old man winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. KYW Original Podcast. Really curious to hear what Ray Didinger has to say about uh, this. Another bombshell article about the Eagles front office, this time by three excellent writers at The Athletic, Shil Kapadia, Bo Wolf, and Zach Berman. It's at theathletic.com. It's the, t- the headline is Paranoia, Mismanagement and Office Politics, Inside the Eagles' Downfall under Jeffrey Lurie and Howie Roseman. I got Ray Dininger of WIP here. Ray, this is a really in-depth story about how the Eagles went from Super Bowl champions to now in the inner workings of the Novacare Complex building. It features stuff about Jeffrey Lurie, Howie Roseman, Doug Peterson, and a, and a lot of stuff that we didn't know before. Uh, what was your reaction to this article? Uh, well, um, it was it was pretty good insight uh, and, into what's going on down there and uh, kind of brought some clarity to a lot of questions that a lot of people were asking because – you know, let's face it, for the last year, um, the whole sports world, not just the Eagles, but the whole sports world has really been in lockdown. And, you know, the the reporters, the guys who cover the team, uh, haven't had very much access. I mean, they're not they're not even in the building anymore, really. I mean, they've got they've created this separate house on the grounds, but the reporters don't even the press room isn't even in the Novacare complex anymore, really. Uh, and the locker room hasn't been open, and everything has been kind of restricted to these virtual uh, uh, online kinds of interviews. And so, um, you know, the writers who, who cover the team and the guys who are responsible for sort of telling you what's going on, they've been kept at a distance. And, of course, if they are, then the fans are too. And so we've kind of watched this whole past year, this whole nightmare of 4-11-1 and, and the season just – unraveling week by week and we've all kind of watched it and just kind of and felt like we don't really what's going on here you know and you know if the reporters had had been able to be in the locker room and talk to the players um you would have gotten a better sense of just kind of the mood of the team and why things were going the way they were going but we haven't really had that it's just kind of been happening almost in this sort of vacuum and what i think that the shield and Bo and zach have done uh, is and they are uh, you're right. There are three very good reporters 
who are there all the time. Uh, and they're not sensationalists. You know, they're not muckrakers. They're not guys that write things just to get a headline or to get people talking. I mean, they're good, honest reporters. Uh, and that's what gives this story some weight and gives it real credibility, is you know that these guys were around it as close as you could possibly be around it under these circumstances. They've talked to a lot of different people uh, on a lot of different levels, both inside the organization and outside the organization. Uh, and what I think they've written is a, is a very fair and very nuanced picture of exactly where this franchise is right now and how they got to this point, you know, how they got from where we all were not all that long ago, standing on Ben Franklin Parkway celebrating a Super Bowl champion to a team that finishes fourth in the worst division in football. Uh, and now the coach is gone, the quarterback is gone, and you get the feeling in a lot of ways it's kind of starting over. You know, how did we get here? I mean, that's a question everybody has. And, you know, I think that these, I think that these three guys with this story – give you a, a lot of pretty good answers i'm gonna start uh, right at the top and please and please uh, correct me if you think that i'm mistaken here but i got the sense from reading this piece uh and i'm not surprised by it because i suspected it that jeffrey lurie is way more involved than you just get the sense from just looking at the Novacare complex from afar what do you think about that yeah i think that's true uh i i think we all kind of sense that uh, that Jeff, you know, when Jeff first bought the team, and that's a long time ago now, Jesus, back in the mid-90s, uh, you know, he was very involved then. He was a very activist owner. He came in and, you know, made no secret of the fact that he was a big football fan and he was a guy that loved the NFL draft and, you know, liked to watch the bowl games and take notes. And, I mean, he was kind of he was kind of a Mel Kuyper-ish kind of guy when he bought the team. So you would think that when he bought the team, he would want to dive right in and be involved in a lot of decisions, and he was. But then initial, then, you know, he got a lot of blowback on it and things, you know, he got a lot of criticism for, you know, he and Joe Banner for being a little too hands-on and, you know, trying to run football things. And then after he hired Andy Reid and they began having success, um, he really took a step back. I mean, he really trusted Andy. Uh, He saw that Andy knew what he was doing. Uh, and Jeff at that point became more of your typical NFL owner, which, you know, he was around, but he wasn't, he wasn't in there micromanaging every decision. He wasn't, he, he wasn't in there looking over the coach's shoulder when he's putting his game plan together or sitting in on all the personnel meetings when they were preparing for the draft. You know, he kind of just took a step back. He was, he was involved and he was interested, but he wasn't all that hands-on. But you get the feeling now over the last several years uh, that he has become more hands-on. And this year in particular with some of the decisions that were made, um, I mean, these were big decisions. I mean, moving on from a coach that won you a Super Bowl, your only Super Bowl, that's a big decision. Uh, Trading a quarterback who you traded up to get, uh, a guy who you really felt was going to be the face of your franchise for a decade, you know, a guy that was kind of going to be your Elway, a guy that was going to kind of be your Manning, the decision to move on from him, those are big, big decisions. And you knew that the owner had to be involved in those. So, yeah, I mean, the idea that, that Jeff has a much bigger voice and a much bigger role in the day-to-day operation, I think we all kind of knew that and suspected that was true. But I think this article kind of lays it out in terms that it makes it very, very clear that that's what's going on. Uh, in this article, it, it, they said that um, Doug Peterson, Jeffrey Lurie, and Howie Roseman declined 
to to speak on this article. So there's a lot of anonymous sourcing in this article from uh, that was written by Shield, Bo, and Zach. And I'm going to quote one of the the sources that they have here. Um, it it said one of the sources said that they treated Peterson like a baby. What was your reaction to that part of the story? Yeah, I don't know exactly what they mean by that. Um, I mean that that that's a little unclear to me. Uh, I, I think that the uh, one of the points that they make, and in fact, this is how the story opens, is that every Tuesday, after after the Eagles would play on Sunday, uh, there, there was a standard procedure that every Tuesday, uh, Peterson would would meet with Jeff Lurie and Howie Roseman, uh, and talk about the game. And at that point, Jeff would you know, have his notes with him about the notes that he had taken during the game or ideas that he had or thoughts that he had, uh, about questions he wanted to ask about why didn't you do this or, you know, what did you think about doing that or, you know, win or lose. It, it was it was a win or lose thing every Tuesday. He, he went in um, for, to, for the sit-down with the owner and the general manager. Uh, I, I think that that's probably – not it, it, it isn't exclusive to Philadelphia. I think that something like that probably happens with a lot of teams. Not every team, but probably a lot of teams. Um, that uh, the, the guy who owns the team, if he's there, there are things that he wants to know. And you know, Jeff is one of the things about Jeff is, uh, and one of the things that makes him different than a lot of other owners is, is the football team is his business. You know, he doesn't have a whole lot of other interests. He doesn't have a whole lot of things happening outside of this. You know, he doesn't. He, he's not involved in this business, this industry, doing this, doing that. I mean, the Eagles are his business, uh, and he lives here. Unlike a lot of other owners who live kind of elsewhere, we we had that with Norman Bremen. Was a guy who was rarely here. He was. He had a home in Miami. He had a home in France, and he would just. He was. He was just a helicopter owner. He would come in on Sunday for the game, and then he would leave after the game. That's not Jeff. I mean, Jeff lives here. He's. You know, he's a Boston guy. But he said from the day he bought the team that he was going to make himself part of the Philadelphia community, and he has. Bought a house here. He lives here. He's around the complex all the time. He's pretty much at every practice. So, you know, he's he's very involved. And um, the idea that he, he meets with Peterson after every game, that, it's, that in itself didn't shock me because I know that happens in a lot of places. I guess what we don't know is what the tone of those meetings were. Um, I mean, if the owner has just has some questions about why things happened, <clears throat> that's not that unusual. But if the owner puts himself in a position where he's telling the coach what he should have done, that's a different matter. And you kind of get the impression reading the story um, that the Eagles began, in the la- particularly in the last year, began trying to dictate uh, to Doug more than they were just inquiring. And I think that's probably one of the reasons why Doug decided that he had had enough of it and uh, – it's part of the reason why, probably the biggest reason why he's not lo- no longer the coach of the team. How fair or unfair is that, considering what Doug accomplished uh, just three three years ago? Uh, well, it's it's almost unprecedented that a guy that a coach won a Super Bowl and then was out of a job just in this period of time. Um, it, it only it only happened in the Super Bowl era. Uh, there have been fifty five of them played now. I mean, it's only happened twice. I mean, a guy named Don McCafferty, uh, who won the Super Bowl five with the Baltimore Colts. That's how long ago we're talking about. We're talking about Super Bowl five and the Baltimore Colts. So that's we're going way back in time. Uh, but Don McCafferty, who had succeeded Don Shula, won a Super Bowl, Super Bowl five, and then within a year and a half uh, was butting heads with the general manager uh, to the point where he got fired. And then you know, and then I guess the only other one maybe 
was Barry Switzer. And there's still some, there's still some uncertainty about, did he get fired or did he just quit down in Dallas? But that's it. Everybody else that won a Super Bowl, every other coach that won a Super Bowl had a long run of after that, in which it was just like, you know, this guy won a Super Bowl. We can't, you know, we're not going to go fire this guy. We're not going to go look for another coach. This guy won a Super Bowl, for heaven's sakes. I mean, Brian Billick won, just to use one name, Brian Billick won a Super Bowl in Baltimore. Um, and he, he held that job for seven more years. And they weren't all very great years, but he won a Super Bowl, so he got that grace period. The fact that Doug Peterson won it 2017-2018, and now here we are just in 2021, and he's already out of Philadelphia and out of football, you just don't see that. I mean, that just doesn't happen. Uh, and, you know, I, I was surprised it came to this point. I mean, I knew there were a bitterly disappointing year, and I knew there were a lot of questions to be asked. And I can't say that Doug had a very good coaching year because he did, and even he would tell you that. But the fact that, that it would lead to him losing his job and the team hitting the reset button, um, I mean, I still find, to me, I still find that surprising. But I think what, it, what this story sort of suggests and the conclusion that I think the reader will take away from it is that it, it really became that Doug was very unhappy with the, the structure and the organization in Philadelphia. Uh, and uh, he still, I mean, they had just a year, two years earlier, you know, he wanted to keep his coaching staff. You know, there were guys, there were coaches on that staff. He wanted to keep the ownership, Jeff and, and Howie said, no, 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 you're going to fire those guys. We're going to bring in new coaches. You brought in new coaches and, had this year, I think that Doug wanted to keep his coaches and get another shot at it, try and straighten out and make right the things that went wrong this year. And they and they said to him again, no, you're going to change your coaching staff. You're going to fire your coaches. And I think Doug just finally put his foot down and said, no, I'm not doing that. You know, this is my coaching staff. I should be able to pick the guys for my coaching staff. And I think that that's really what became the breaking point. If, if, if Doug had kind of acquiesced and just sort of said, okay, you said well, I should fire my coaches, I'll fire my coaches, he probably would have stayed. It probably, but I think the fact that he said, no, 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 I'm not, I did that once before, I'm not doing that again, is kind of what brought us to the point that we are today. Uh, Howie, we know his story on the surface. He was the GM, then he lost a power struggle to Chip Kelly. Then after Chip Kelly was out, Howie came back and, and indicated that he learned from his previous stint, 1.0, that he was going to change. And, and it seemed like that that was the case. But this article by The Athletic indicates that uh, Roseman's, I'm quoting the, the, the writing here, quote, Roseman's worst instincts have returned. What do you think about that? Well, again, you know, we're all kind of viewing this from a distance. You know, I'm, uh, I'm, I haven't talked to Howie in more than a year. So, you know, how he, I mean, he did say after the first go-around, after he got sort of forced out by Chip, uh, he sort of said, you know, I have to – and, and then he got the opportunity to come back. He said, I learned a lot of lessons in the way I kind of treated people and, and interacted with people. I can do better. Um, and he did come back. The, the, the new Howie that came back, the Howie 2.0, was a different kind of guy. Um, but I, I think his nature is that he wants to call the shots, you know, and that uh, uh, if, and if you're involved in some of that decision-making and he makes a decision that isn't in your best interest, you're not going to like it very much. Uh, and, he's gonna, and it's going to seem autocratic and maybe some, some, in some ways arbitrary. But the fact is Jeff has given him that power. And one of the things that I think is sort of tied to this whole story is, is the whole Chip Kelly experience and what happened with Chip Kelly. Uh, and we talked earlier about the idea that Jeff is much more hands-on and, make, and, 
and controlling a lot more and dictating a lot more of what goes on down there. Uh, I think it's a, I think it's a byproduct of the whole Chip Kelly experience, you know, because after Andy went, Andy had a tremendous amount of autonomy and a lot of power, and Jeff really kind of let him run things. Uh, and then when when Chip Kelly came in, uh, Chip insisted on having more. Uh, Chip insisted on having power, and then wanted more power beyond that. And I think that Jeff was so infatuated with Chip, and Chip certainly had great success initially, that he kind of gave it to him. He kind of said, okay, you want to run things? Here, you run things. And I think that Jeff felt that he it wasn't his team at that point. I think that Jeff felt like he would kind of regret it, giving Chip so much power. And he felt like he gave up too much of the power. And that Chip was the guy that was calling all the shots in the building. And when it came to the end and he parted ways with Chip, he just felt like you know they had to move on. And I agree, they did. That, uh, that Jeff at that point, it was sort of like in firing chip was like, I'm taking my team back. You know, I handed this off to this coach, uh, and I let him make all the decisions and look where we are right now. You know, that, well, that was my mistake and I'm not letting that happen again. I'm taking my team back. And I think that's sort of, that's sort of the way this whole thing played out is that, you know, that Jeff felt like this is my team and I don't want to be a guy just sitting in the box watching football games. You know, I feel like I should be part of the decision-making process and, Okay, I gave that up with Chip, but I'm never making that mistake again. And I think when they brought Doug in, when they hired Doug, it was sort of understood that this is the way it's going to be, that I'm going to have things to say, and I'm going to have input and in how he's going to run things, and how he's going to run the draft. And Doug was grateful to have the job and just said, okay, I can live with that. And, but what they found over time was it became, uh, there just became areas of conflict. And it got reached to a point where it was just untenable. And uh, so here we are. And the question is now, with a, with a young coach coming in, uh, with no real track record as a head coach, you know, how is this going to go forward? I think we all kind of suspected that it looked like they wanted to bring in a coach that, that would sort of do what he was told. And that's sort of the perception of Nick Sirianni now. Uh, and this story certainly supports that. And that's why everybody's sort of sitting back saying, okay, where do we go from here? After reading this story, is it fair or unfair to call the Philadelphia Eagles from just simply a football standpoint in terms of how they run their football operation from the very top, Jeffrey Lurie, all the way down. Is it fair or unfair to call the Philadelphia Eagles right now dysfunctional? It seems harsh, but it doesn't seem inaccurate. You know, I get the feeling, um, I've, I've had this feeling, and it's certainly supported by what was in that article, um, that it's a team that's trying to find its way. Uh, and, and listen, when you go from where they were, uh, just a couple of years ago, which was champions of the national football league to where they are now, where you would probably say they're one of the bottom five or six teams in the national football league, something clearly went very wrong in, in between those two zones. Cause we're not talking about decades now. We're just talking about a couple of years. Something has gone terribly wrong. Uh, and some of it's on the field. But some of it is internal. Some of it is in the building down there. Uh, and to say that uh, to, to have, have fallen as far as they're fallen, I mean, dysfunction has to be part of the equation. I mean, it was, it's, what's wrong with the Eagles right now is, is more than just injuries. You know, and it's more than just an occasional drop pass or a missed block. It's sort of about the way they're doing business right now. And that's why I think there's great concern about where they are and, and, what, and how critical – the NFL draft is going to be the one that's coming up in just a couple of weeks. I mean, the Eagles, uh, I mean, they've got, 
they're going to be picking 11 players here. And they can't be as wrong this year as they have been wrong in the recent past. Mm-hmm. I mean, drafting poorly is a big re- drafting poorly is is a big reason of why they are where they are right now. And if they're going to get this thing turned around, it has to not start. It doesn't have to start in next September when the games start. It has to start in two weeks with the NFL draft. They have to get this worked out. But if anyone who reads this article, I mean, it, uh, if you had concerns about where this organization is headed. This didn't make you feel any better about that. And well, that, that's my last question about the, the concern because, um, you know, it, free agency at this point is pretty much done and the Eagles didn't have cap space that much of it anyway. But going forward, you know, the NFL, things could change in the snap of a finger. They could all, they have a, they have a uh, assuming to be an easy schedule this year. You're right. They have a lot of draft picks. They could hit on a lot of them and all of a sudden turn it around and win what was a bad division last year and probably going to be a bad division this year. And who knows what can happen. But if they don't and they continue to be in this state of rebuilding, retooling, whatever, um, and more articles like this come out going forward when they do have cap room. How concerning will that be for the image of this franchise from a football standpoint to bring in talent from the outside? Uh, well, uh, I, I think that you have to be concerned about that uh, because you're right. I mean, this year they didn't figure to be a big player in free agency anyway because they just didn't have the money to spend. Uh, but starting next year and then the year after that, when the new TV contract kicks in and the salary cap goes back up and it's going to go way up, they will have money. And then you're going to be competing for the best players with other teams. And players are going to choose, they're going to pick and choose their situation based on, you know, it, uh, largely it's going to be, mostly it's going to be about the money you're offering, but it's also going to be about, okay, which is the best op- which is the best situation for me? And for most players, it means which, which team gives me the best chance to win a Super Bowl? You know, I've played somewhere else. I've made some decent money. Uh, and, yeah, I want to make more money. Sure, that's part of it. But, look, I want to win a Super Bowl. You know, And so which of these choices here, A, B, or C, gives me my best chance to win a Super Bowl? Um, if you're not in that discussion or if you're the team that a guy looks at and says, well, no, I'm not going there, well, that's, you know, that's the worst place to be. Uh, and the Eagles have to – and right now their perception around the league is people are kind of scratching their heads and say, where's this team going? I mean, there are a lot of people around the league that still find it hard to believe that Doug Peterson, a guy that won a Super Bowl not all that long ago, got fired. I mean, that just it, it, you, we just don't see that happen. And a lot of people around the NFL are scratching their heads and saying, what are the Eagles doing? You know, what are the Eagles doing? They fired their coach and won a Super Bowl. They've, they've traded Carson Wentz. Um, you know, do they know what they're doing? It's a fair question to ask. And they have to come up with the right answers or else, you know, or else, you know, what's going to happen down the road is going to be, it's not going to be an improvement. It's going to be just more, more of the same old, same old. Well, should be very interesting. Ray, we're two weeks from the draft. I appreciate the time as always. And, and I look forward to the chance to hopefully talk to you then uh, after the, the first round of the draft. Thanks as always and stay safe. You too, David. Talk to you soon. Hall of Famer Ray Dininger of 94 WIP. Old man winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. <laughs> Heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, old man winter. Spring has arrived. 
spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. Celebrate and save at Ashley's Anniversary Sale. With Hot Buys, your choice of color starting at just $3.99. Ashley Sleep Mattresses starting at $2.50. Plus, receive a free adjustable base with select mattress purchases. And shop top mattress brands like Stearns & Foster, Tempur-Pedic, Purple, and Beautyrest Black with 60-month special financing only at Ashley. Subject to credit approval. No minimum purchase required. Minimum monthly payment, down payment, tax, and delivery may be required. See store for details.